right, if you were asleep because of the rain or the what, or whatever, that woke you up, didn't it? All right. Hey, uh, how many of you were nervous that I was going to play the drums again? All right. Yeah, that, that was much better. It's better than Jim with a cowbell, though. So, hey, um, we, uh, we're kicking off this new series, and you guys may, may remember a long, long time ago, um, Jim told us all, hey, uh, take these little note cards and write down this phrase. What does the Bible say about? And then we were supposed to kind of fill in that blank with whatever we would like to see um, us talk about here at Flatirons Community Church. And we got back thousands of responses, I know, because Jim gave me the box and told me to like sort through them and everything. And you guys asked all kinds of questions. A lot of questions that I expected, a lot of questions I didn't expect. Like, you had que- a lot of you asked questions about dinosaurs, which was really, really cool. Um, a lot of you ask questions about things like the war and things like finances and things like, is Jesus really the one way to heaven and all kinds of things like that. But overwhelmingly, you guys filled in the blank with this word or a variation on this word or a phrase that describes this word. And the word is sex. All right. So um, let this kind of be your last warning in case you just kind of walked in. We're going to be talking about sex tonight. And this whole series is going to be based on those questions you guys asked in regards to sex. And it was broader than that. You guys asked questions about things like divorce and homosexuality and affairs and forgiveness. And so we're going to talk about all that in this series. And so um, if you're here tonight with with a kid who's under the age of like middle school, you may want to take them over to powerhouse. But if you got a middle aged kid or above, they need to be in here. That's at least how I feel about it. So um, we're kicking this series off and I got to be, I got to be honest with you tonight as we talk about God's ideal for sex and marriage, I, I'm excited and I've been excited for a while because I've, I've never had more fun researching a topic to be honest with you. All right. Um, rule number one tonight is we got to loosen up. Okay. All right. This is going to be fun, but we got to loosen up. So, uh, you know, most of my sermons and things like that, I prepare at the office and I do all my research and all my study at the office because I've got two little kids and a wife at home. So when I go home, I just want to be with them. But this research was a little bit different. So when I went home, we'd, you know, eat dinner, you know, put the kids to bed, give them their bath, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I would just kind of look across the at Allison and go, honey, research, you know, and then she would just roll her eyes at me and things like that. But hey, um, I do want to give you a few resources. If you look at your program, there are three books that I really, really recommend uh, that I've been looking at in this series. One is a book called Real Sex by a woman named Lauren Winter, and she's a great author. It's one of the best books on sex I've seen in a long time. The other one is a book called Sex God by one of my favorite teachers, a guy named Rob Bell. And then there is the modern day classic, What's the Big Deal About Sex? by Jim Bergen. Yeah. And uh, he likes to say that when it comes to sex, he wrote the book on it. Uh, It's a short book. (laughs) Anyway, uh, (laughs) I'm so fired. I'm so fired. Uh, Hey, um, as we dive in, I got to be honest with you, I've historically had a lot of problems with the way that the church and Christians have handled the topic of sex over the years. The first problem I have with it is that A lot of Christians, a lot of churches don't talk about it at all. That's a problem for me. The second is that even when they do or if they do, it's always in a negative light. And I don't think that's right either. And I've said this before around here, but far too often churches and Christians communicate, especially to young people, that sex is dirty, bad, wrong, and shameful. So save it for the one you love. And that doesn't make any sense at all. And that's why young people can't embrace that because it's just just not true. There are a couple extreme views. Let's frame it up this way. There are a couple extreme views in our world as it pertains to sex. One extreme view would be this, that we're just mammals. 
And we've got animal instincts towards sex, and we should just feed those instincts whenever we feel hungry for sex, with whoever, whenever. In fact, there was a song that actually articulated this belief just a couple years ago. Listen to this. And I'm sure that line's worked on a lot of women over the years. <laughs> or not. Why? Because it's stupid. All right? And here's the amazing thing. I've met a lot of smart people. There are a lot of smart people that write about the topic of sex and actually take that view. And I think it's dumb. And here's why. Because I have a dog. I have a chocolate lab. Her name is Lexi. She's a really cool dog. Got her right before we got married. And uh, several years ago, Alice and I decided, wouldn't it be cool if Lexi had puppies? And we had friends who had a black lab named Blaze. He was a very handsome black lab. And we thought they would make really cute puppies. And so let's get them together so that they can make puppies. And so Lexi went into heat. We put her in the car. We took her over to Blaze's house. We threw her in the backyard and they mated. They had sex. Guess what we didn't have to do? We didn't have to introduce them. We didn't have to like scatter rose petals in the backyard. We didn't have to get them, give them a bottle of wine. We didn't have to see if they were like combat compatible intellectually. No, none of that was needed. They got in the backyard, they mated, they had sex. And the even more amazing part was this. The next day, my dog Lexi, she didn't sit by the phone waiting for Blaze to call. She didn't look at me with eyes going, I feel so used. You know, she didn't, she didn't run down the street and tell all the other dogs, you know, what a dog blaze was you know she did she didn't do any of that because lexi didn't care let me give you a really profound statement we're different we are we're just different sex is so much more than just a mating encounter between two mammals if that was true if it was just a biological act then why does sex elicit such an emotional and spiritual response in us why We don't just hop out in the backyard because there's more to it than that. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that there's something profoundly different between us and every other creature that walks the face of this planet. So that's one extreme. We're nothing but mammals. But the other extreme would be this, to say that sex is something shameful and sex is a word we should whisper. And unfortunately, that comes from a lot of our parents, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us never found out about sex from our parents We had to find out on our own because our parents didn't know what to do when it came to talking to us about sex. And the default of that was for us to just assume that sex is bad. So there's something wrong with it because our parents wouldn't talk about it. So there must be something shameful about it. And that's wrong too. You know why? Because sex was God's idea. He came up with the whole thing. It was his to begin with. In fact, God wants us to have sex. He wants us to have lots of sex. He wants us to have great sex. And you're going, you can't say that in church. Yes, I can. Jim used to say it this way. You know what? On a scale of like one to 10, one being really, really bad sex and 10 being just great sex, what kind of sex do you think God wants you to have? And most Christians would probably go, oh, maybe five or six. No, listen, 11. God wants us to have great sex. And the amazing part is this, God also created the environment for that to happen. If you got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter two, verse 24 through 25. We're going to take a look at the first couple who ever got to have sex. Their names are Adam and Eve. Jim talked about them a lot in this last series. And this is what the Bible has to say. Right off the bat, sex becomes a big deal in the Bible. Here's what it says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife 
and they will become what? One flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There's a few words I want you to take a look at there. The first one's this word, leave. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, do whatever you want with it. Have you ever been around that couple that really had trouble with this one? Usually they're young couples who just really couldn't leave their father, their mother, their parents, their home, whatever that looked like. It's the husband who calls his mom every night before he goes to bed. That's just weird. You know, there's, a, there's, the, there's the wife who calls her dad and tells him everything that's wrong with her new husband. See, the idea is you have to loosen your grip on one relationship in order to tighten your grip on this new one. It's the idea of leaving, and then here comes the next word, underline it, so that you can unite. The other word we often hear used here is to cleave. It literally means to stick and stay. To be joined together permanently. And in this joining together, the two become, here's the next phrase, one flesh. And this, this phrase, one flesh, is really one word in Hebrew. It's, it's best translated whole or unified oneness. It's the same word used to describe God often in the Bible. When Moses says to his people, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's the same word. You see, God is complete. God is whole. And the idea is he wants us to be as well. See, Jerry Maguire got that whole you complete me thing from God. That's his material. We compliment each other, don't we? Allison and I, before we got married, we took a personality test because we started to realize we're different, you know? And um, Allison and I are total opposites. So there's like a million personality tests out there, but I'm like the lion, you know, in that one with the animals. And she's like the golden retriever, which means that I'm the big mean jerk and she's the one that everybody loves. You know, that's the way it kind of works. But if you plot our personalities, mine kind of goes this way on a chart. Hers goes this way. And if you put it together, we make a pretty well-rounded person. And it's because of this oneness that in the context of marriage, you can be, here's the next phrase, naked and feel no shame. In fact, it seems that being naked and feeling no shame was one of the central ideas that's trying to be communicated in this story of Adam and Eve. But is this just about skin being uncovered? Or is it something much more than that? Well, if you really look at those words, naked and feel no shame, the ideas come out like this. This means openness and vulnerability without disgrace openness and vulnerability without disgrace this is ultimate trust rob bell says it this way it's easy to take off your clothes and have sex but opening up your soul to someone letting them into your spirit your thoughts your fears your futures your hopes your dreams wow that's being naked and that's what i want to talk about tonight Hear me when I say this. I don't want it tonight to be all about just a few minutes of being naked between the sheets. I'm not just talking tonight about sexual intercourse. I want to talk about something much bigger, much broader than that. I want to talk about how we become one, how we become whole. So here's the picture. You want to have intimacy? You want to have incredible sex? Unite yourself to someone else in marriage. Become one with them on every level. Open up to them. Expose yourself to them. All your fears, all your hopes, all your anxieties, all your dreams, all your flaws, all of who you are. Take all of that, including your heart, and put it in their hands and say, I trust you to treasure my heart and not injure it. Sounds scary? It is. There is no greater risk than opening yourself up to another human being in this way. Key word being human being. Because humans will fail you, they'll hurt you, they'll let you down, and they won't live up. But guess what? Neither will you. And neither will I. 
See, there's incredible potential for fallout and pain in this thing called marriage. But there's also incredible potential for love and good. So what are you saying, Scott? You're saying that in the context of marriage is the only place that sex can actually feel good? No. (laughs) It's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, there's plenty of us in here who could attest to the fact that sex outside of marriage can feel just great. But I'm not talking about just sex. Sex is only a small part of this masterpiece that God is trying to paint for us. Lauren Winter, in her book, Real Sex, she says one of the biggest lies the church has perpetuated to people is to say that premarital sex is guaranteed to make you feel bad. She says it this way, In insisting that premarital sex will make you feel bad, the church is misstating the nature of sin and the nature of our fallen hearts. The plain sad fact is we don't always feel bad after we do something wrong. To acknowledge that premarital sex or any other sinful act might feel good is not to say that it's good. It's rather to say that our feelings, my feelings, your feelings, our feelings, they're not always trustworthy. So what are you saying, Scott? Well, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that marriage is the only context where that portrait can be painted. I'm saying that marriage is the only place where that whole thing, big as it is, can take place. And you've got to hear me on this one. God is not out to spoil our fun. That is not what he's trying to do at all. In fact, here's the truth. God simply refuses to reduce sex to a physical act and in so doing devalue his people. God refuses to look at me and you and go, you're just nothing but mammals, go ahead. Then he'd be a liar. God refuses to reduce sex to a physical act because that would devalue us. In fact, there's evidence of this all over the Bible. If you look at just one small example, in Exodus twenty-two sixteen, this was a command God gave to his people. It was this. If a man seduces a virgin who's not pledged to be married to him and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price and she shall be his wife. That sounds extreme. That sounds like a really overreaction to that. But in this culture, in this ancient culture, this woman who was seduced by this man would have been considered damaged goods. And if she married somebody else and on the night of her wedding, her new husband found out she wasn't a virgin, he could have easily divorced her and she could have never been married again. So this warning, this commandment was God protecting women. He's saying this, he's saying, don't think you can just reduce sex down to a simple act and walk away as if you have no responsibility. You can't just go seduce someone for a one night stand and walk away. If you want sex, you need to take all that comes with it. And when you try to separate intimacy from sex, you're settling for something much less than what God desires for you. If you ever saw the movie Vanilla Sky, Cameron Diaz's character says in that movie, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you wanted to or not? Isn't that true? When you sleep with somebody, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. And unfortunately, there's some teachers out there that take this idea in verses like this and they, they twist it, not intentionally, but this is what they firmly believe, that sex equals marriage. So that if you have sex with somebody, you are now married in God's eyes. Now, we're going to talk about this more in a few weeks when I come back to talk about divorce. But let me just give you this to think about for a while. There is no such thing in the Bible as married in God's eyes. There's no such thing. And if you played that logic out, you can see how damaging it would actually become. So, you have sex with somebody in 10th grade. Years go by, you marry somebody who you fall in love with, but you were married in God's eyes to that person in 10th grade in that one night and that one sweaty encounter in the backseat of a car. So now, does that mean I'm living in adultery with the person I actually love and married? No, it doesn't. 
It doesn't. So that line of thinking can become very damaging. And again, we're going to talk about it when we get to divorce, but let's leave it at this today. Sex was created for marriage, not marriage for sex. Does that make sense? In other words, we can't just reduce sex down to a physical act. Remember, I'm talking about something much bigger. I'm not talking about a few minutes between the sheets. I'm talking about this huge gift that God has for us. You see, Jewish people have for thousands and thousands of years recognized this as something much bigger. For a long, long time, in fact, Jewish people, marriage is a symbol of their relationship with God. You see, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God is described as a groom and his people as the bride. In fact, when God gave the Ten Commandments to his people, that's a wedding ceremony. His presence hovered over his people as they made promises to each other. They made vows to one another. Under God's presence, they made promises. And it was formalized and legalized. It's called a covenant. And this is what marriage is. A covenant, a promise under God. And so as a reminder, Jewish people, a lot of times, even to this day, when they get married, they get married under this thing that they called a huppah. Everybody say huppah. You got to get a lot of in there. All right. And now the interesting thing about this is the huppah is oftentimes the prayer shawl. If you've been around here for very long, we've talked about this thing like three or four times now. And remember these tassels, these seat seat things that Jim talked about. Remember what these represent that I talked about later, that they represent God's wings and power. And so the picture is remembering God's presence, hovering over his people in the exchange of the Ten Commandments during a wedding ceremony, two people get married underneath of the chuppah and nobody else stands underneath of this, only them. As if to say, we are forging a bond under God to become one. No one else gets in and we don't step out. Isn't that cool? And here's the part that will blow your mind. When the wedding ceremony is over, ancient times, not as much anymore, but when the wedding ceremony was over, they would take the chuppah down, they would carry it into the house where the bride and groom were going to live, they would put it over their bed, the bride and groom would go in, get into the bed, and they would consummate their marriage under the bed while everybody else got the party started outside. Can you say awkward? <laughs> and then the bride and groom, they would, they would step outside of their Marital chamber, they would go join the party and everybody would cheer. Because this is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is the way God intended for us to live in complete freedom underneath the umbrella of his blessing in the context of his blessing. This thing called marriage. And under here, there's all kinds of freedom, y'all. All kinds of freedom to be naked and unashamed on every level. A friend of mine got an email from a couple the other day who are, they're new followers of Jesus. They're also newlyweds. And their question was basically this. So as Christians who are married, what are we allowed to do? Uh, are there positions that are off limits? Is oral sex okay? You know, what's the deal? Because doesn't that reveal something about the perception of God? He couldn't possibly want us to have like fun sex. He probably just wants us to have like boring, like hole in the sheet type sex, Right. Loosen up, guys. I told you, you got to loosen up. No. No, in fact, I think my friend made their day when he said, go have fun this weekend, you know? And here's the only guidelines I would give us. 
in regards to our sexuality within the context of our marriages, two things, that's it. Don't do anything that demeans or devalues your partner as an image bearer of God. You got to talk about what that looks like. Don't humiliate each other. And the second thing would be this. Don't let anybody else in. Don't let anybody else under the chuppah. Don't step out from underneath it either. And this includes, hear me, pornography. Pornography will destroy your intimacy. It can destroy, and I've seen it personally destroy several of my friends' marriages. Don't invite anybody else in here because it only belongs to the two of you under the umbrella that God has provided you. Other than that, have a good time. You see, there was a time in my life where I believed that God was anti-sex. I really believed that because I just believed that all God really allowed for was you know, kind of boring sex because obviously it would be more fun to have sex with lots of people than just one person. But what I was missing was this. God, God's goal for me is not to have sex. God wants me to be one with him and one with another. No one else. God wants more for us than sex. That's why our marriage ministry is called Two to One. Two people becoming one to be intimate. We were created to get naked. In fact, I wanted to call this talk Created to Get Naked, but they wouldn't let me. Without any shame. And the only place where that can happen is right here. Under the umbrella. And isn't it true that when we step out from underneath of this or we invite someone else in, that's when life turns into a living hell? Isn't that true? It was true in the Bible for so many people. I could give you a big long list, but there are a few big names like Abraham, Jacob, David. They all stepped out from underneath of this and they got burned. They thought they were getting more, but in reality they were settling for much less. And so often we settle for much less, don't we? Because we live in a world that's removed intimacy from sex and we've yanked it. We've yanked sex right out from underneath the hoopah and we've put it on display for all to see. We've talked about the semantics of it. We videotape it and put it on the internet. We burn it on DVDs and sell it. We walk down the grocery aisle and you get seven ways to please your man in bed and four steps to better sex. We live in a culture, this is my opinion, that has cheapened sex. It's taken the mystery and the beauty and the spirituality out of it. You know, I'm a big Alfred Hitchcock movie fan. And here's the thing that I find amazing. His movies are so much scarier than any of our modern day horror movies, aren't they? But he doesn't throw a lot of gore out there. He doesn't put the graphic detail out there for you to see. He leaves power and suggestion and mystery and there's depth there and it's more scary. Could I suggest that in a culture that has put sex on display, projected it on screens, that we've actually been robbed of the real beauty and intimacy and spirituality and depth that exists in a way that can't be viewed? Isn't that true? See, all you have to do is listen to our songs. I mean, listen to the metaphors we create for sex, for crying out loud. A couple of years ago, there was a rap song that somehow made a metaphor for sex out of Laffy Taffy. All right, that's just dumb. All right, and you know, rap always gets a bad rap, you know, for this of demeaning women, and and it is sometimes, and and being really profane and, and that kind of stuff. But those of you who like country music, all right, I'm going to call you out tonight because country is getting worse. Listen to this for a second. I'd like to see you out in the 
Did you catch that? Did you catch that? I'd like to check you for ticks. Guys, husbands, let's all give this one a shot tonight, all right? Hey, babe. I'd like to check you for ticks. Let me tell you what you're going to have to do. Go find a couch to sleep in, all right? That's just, that's just dumb, all right? So ladies, you be the judge. What's sexier? I want to check you for ticks or this. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs like a jewel, the work of a craftsman's hand. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. How beautiful, O love, are your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like the clusters of fruit. I said I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Is it even close? Guys, that's God's material. That's in the Bible, okay? That's in a book called Song of Solomon, all right? Justin Timberlake thinks he's bringing sexy back. It's been in the Bible for a long time, okay? All right, that's where it's been. Yeah, which one captures the profound mystery of sex better? I want to check you for ticks? No, I don't think so. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but that stuff in the Bible, that was graphic. That's as graphic as any rap song ever hoped to be. This is a couple in the context of marriage and the umbrella of God's blessing having a great time. Enjoying wild and free sex, being unashamed and naked and loving it at every level. And this is good. This is very good. And when I was a high school pastor, I used to always freak out my high school students when I would say this, but I, I'll say it to you guys today. I don't freak you out too. But when God sees two married people under his blessing having sex, he applauds. I can prove it to you. I even have a verse to prove it now. I found it. All right, here it is. It's in the same, same book. Right after this married couple has sex for the first time on their wedding night. There's a spectator that speaks, and that's kind of creepy, is it not? But guess who the spectator is? God. Here's what God has to say. Eat, O oh friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O oh lovers. Translation, enjoy yourselves. Live it up. Listen, the world, this culture we live in has hijacked sex. It's taken God's idea and told us that God's against it. That couldn't be further from the truth. We shouldn't be deceived into believing that. And if you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. God created sex, and it's good. But you and I were created for a lot more than sex. God created sex, and it's good. But you and I are created for a lot more than sex. We're created to experience openness and vulnerability without disgrace, to be naked without shame. Naked without shame on every level. So let's review. God created sex. He thought it up. Thank you, God. God wants us to have sex. Not only that, he wants us to have great sex. Not only that, he wants us to have more than sex. He wants us to have intimacy in this environment called marriage where we can be known and we can know and we can be under the umbrella of God's blessing. Let's press rewind for a minute. Let's go back to that Garden of Eden thing, Adam and Eve, the first two naked characters in the Bible. 
All that stuff we read earlier, that was before it all got messed up, right? When Adam and Eve messed up, when they sinned, what was the first thing that happened? The Bible says they realized they were naked, they felt ashamed, and so they hid. And I gotta believe this is more than Adam and Eve just being upset that some skin's exposed. Uh uh. This is shame, this is insecurity. Creeping into humanity for the first time. And they realized, I got faults. And I don't want you to see them. So they covered up. It's called a lack of intimacy. And it's been destroying relationships for thousands upon thousands of years ever since. So... Awesome, Scott. This would be a great talk if there were only two groups of people in the room. If there were only peers of driven snow virgins in this room and happily married couples who are experiencing deep intimacy on every level, this would be awesome, right? And for all 15 of you, we're really excited for you. But <laughs> for the rest of us, this kind of stings, doesn't it? I'm with you. Me too. This leaves us with questions. This leaves us with questions like, well, that's a great picture you painted, Scott, and I'm glad God has this ideal for me, but I screwed that up a long time ago. I'm damaged goods. Why should I even bother chasing after that? That's not even a possibility for me anymore. Can you just hear me? There is nothing, nothing you've done, will do, ever could do, that will disqualify you from the love that Jesus offers you And even more than that, the life that he wants to give you. You see, Jesus, the one I read about in the Bible, the one that I know, he hung out with a lot of really screwed up people. People who screwed up on every level, including sex, including marriage. And he called them, in fact, he called prostitutes to embrace his love. And to embrace this life, this thing he referred to as an abundant, full life, he made it available to them. It's available to me. It's available to you. You see, it's not even a question. It's not, let's take this one off the table. It's not a question of whether God will forgive you if you mess up again tomorrow. Of course he will. Of course he will. There is no limit to his grace. But that's not the question. The question is whether I want to live the way God designed for me to live and experience openness and vulnerability without disgrace. Is that what I want? Yes. Well, then that's worth fighting for. Through the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sadness, in the midst of the woundedness, in the midst of all that, this is worth fighting for. And there are a lot of us in here that are in marriages that are far from that picture. Words like openness and vulnerability and no disgrace. Those are a far off memory if they ever existed at all, right? In fact, some of us in here tonight, we're sitting next to somebody that we're really close to giving up on. And you've been wondering lately if that person you're sitting next to or that person that's at home or wherever they are, is that even the same person I married? Could I say tonight, with God, all things are possible. Could I suggest that this is worth fighting for? going to counseling for, praying for, asking for others to help you for this, even with all its warts, even with all of its pain, it's the best environment for us to be known and be intimate and be one. 
And for a lot of us in here, we need to remember who and what we committed to. We need to remember what's worth fighting for. We need to put boundaries back around our marriage and rebuild trust. Move to a place of nakedness again. Here's what I realized just the other day. I'm in a marriage. I'm not naked. In fact, I'm hiding most of the time. I don't show my wife who I really am. It's just easier to turn on the TV at night. So that's what I'm wrestling through right now. That's what this looks like for me. Because I've found that when we pull against each other, Allison and I, it really, really hurts. You know why? Because we're one. And when one pulls against itself, it brings great pain. How many of us know that firsthand? It hurts because we were meant to stick and stay till death do us part. And so here's the challenge tonight. I've been nervous about it for weeks. But if you look around, you'll see that there are some hoopas, four of them actually, all over the place. And um, we're going to play a couple more songs. This next song is a great song about God's grace. But if you're here tonight and you're single, my challenge would be for you to find one of those hoopas. Stand underneath it, that umbrella of God's blessing. And make a promise to God or pray to God for the strength to stand right there in that place. And trust that he will bring someone to join you in that place to be one. Instead of going out from underneath of that place and going and searching for intimacy high and low, just wait right here. God, would you provide for me someone to join me? under the umbrella of your blessing. For those of us who are married, could this be a unique opportunity for us to physically stand in a place that reminds us of the promise we made and recommit ourselves to each other and to God to pursue being one and to invite God to heal our wounds and to draw us together again and to invite His grace to flow over us And heal our marriages. So during the next two songs, you can physically get up and go stand there. And move out of the way for the next person. You see, sex is good. It's God's idea. He created it. But we were created for so much. So much more than sex. We were created to be open. Vulnerable. Without shame. Naked. Thank you.